Today's story is all about using our gifts, our talents, and our collective experience to create a new chapter in our lives. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. In the spotlight, a woman who plays the piano, the violin, she even sings, and she's a stand-up comedian and a superb tennis player. She has spent many years in radio and also 20 years developing brand identities for Fortune 500 companies. She decided at one point that it was time for her to use her skills to help people instead of products. And she formed her own coaching practice called The Creative Confidant. Her name is Joanna Dutra, and this is her story. Joanna, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Candy. It all starts in our childhood, the foundation of our lives. Can you tell us a little bit about where you come from and what life was like in your house? I was born in D.C., but I grew up in Buffalo, and I loved having a family with two brothers and we always had a lot of exciting things going on in the house, no shortage of fun things. And I ultimately moved to Boston after going to D.C. for college. I felt a return was necessary to this place of my birth. Well, go back a little bit to your house when you were growing up. Were there life lessons that your parents taught you that you recall? It definitely had a lot of lessons baked right in. My dad is an ophthalmologist, and it's interesting. He always was focused on trying to get the best vision for people. And it's funny looking back at the fact that neither my brothers nor I went into medicine, but now I look to find vision for people in a different way. My mother is a Montessori teacher. She had no shortage of lessons either. It was a delightful duo. <laughs> Who was your role model when you were growing up? I would say my parents were my role model, and that's not just one person. That's the way that they parented was a collective effort, and I always have held them in the highest esteem. They teach me lessons every day still. I feel grateful that I'm able to spend time with them now, and my kids have gotten to know them as well and can be bestowed lessons. Well, you are a gifted musician. When and how did music find its way into your heart? My grandmother said that I had perfect pitch inherited from her. Music has always been a really big part of my life. And I learned piano probably when I was about five. And you also play the violin. Well, the good thing about the piano is that I had always heard that it is a perfect base for all of the other instruments that you'd want to pick up along the way. And so I started playing violin in elementary school, and I kept that up through the orchestra in high school. And being a part of an orchestra was really my favorite element. Just knowing that you're a piece of something bigger, I think, is a really good metaphor for life. It really is. And you're a piece of the whole, but when you all come together, it's so much greater than the each individual. No question. And also knowing how you relate to each other through your own individual instruments. There's just a lot to glean from that. You're also a gifted athlete, a tennis player. Well, I love sports and music. Those are my favorite things. And I think that most of my lessons come from either sports or music. I feel like those are two sides of my brain that happen and I can apply to everything I do. You obviously have a very strong work ethic. Who instilled this drive in you? I think that we are a collection of all of the leaders and parents and grandparents or any type of family that's come before us. In my case, I do look to my grandfather. 
He was born in Italy, and he came to this country when he was nine years old, and he didn't speak the language, and he had to learn everything, and he wanted to. And he just is someone that had this really compelling personality. He was very, very generous, and not just generous with things, but with spirit. He started a business in New York City, and he's just always been such a beacon for me. Did you know what you wanted to do with your life as you were growing up? The stage has always been a comfort for me. I love the stage, and I've always gravitated towards the center of the stage. That said, when I played in the orchestra, I was beneath the stage. So I know what it's like to be behind the scenes, on the sidelines, and also in the center. I just know that, to me, the stage is not something to be scared of. I love it. I find comfort in it. The microphone is my friend. And doing what I do now, I encourage others to feel that way, even if they don't want to have this love of public speaking. They can still have a little bit more comfort knowing who they are and where they stand. You attended Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. Tell us about your college experience. What was your major and were you getting closer and closer to knowing what you wanted to do? I have always been interested in psychology, so I have studied that throughout And I originally went to college thinking that I was going to be in communications, which isn't so far off. But eventually, as our majors change, I ended up majoring in English and fine arts, which has been a wonderful foundation. But I also use all of the studies that I've had of the mind and the brain to apply it to just living. I really think it's intriguing to study psychology. I wonder if you can take us back to those early days when you showed up here in Boston and you start working for Gillette. What got me to Boston was actually working in radio. I had done a lot of internships while I was in school. And going to school in D.C., you had a lot of opportunities available to you. I think that's why I chose D.C. in the first place. So I had worked at magazines at Smithsonian. I worked for our baseball team. I worked for World Cup soccer. And I was kind of dipping my toe in all these different fields in the hopes that I would find what I wanted to do as much as what I might not want to do. And so it's through all of those experiences that an opportunity popped up in Boston and radio advertising. And I took it. And it's been home ever since. You spent 20 years in product marketing, and that's a really tough field. Long hours, mm-hmm. you got to earn your stripes. What advice do you have for a young woman listening to this program who's interested in this field? I also had gotten an array of advice, and I'm thinking about myself receiving that advice. I love the concept of sports marketing, and when I shared my love of sports marketing with others, I was told that. In sports marketing, they eat their young. And it was a description that kind of scared me. It freaked me out, and I took another turn and chose a different field. Interestingly enough, I'm kind of coming back to that now. But if I were to give advice to someone, I think I would not use the same type of strong language or anything that could be dream crushing. Yes. I don't want to say it was misguided because obviously that was coming from their heart, but those words rang in my head. The power of words. That's all I could think about is that, oh, you know, if they eat, that just it didn't sound appealing. I mean, do you want to be eaten? No, no. You yeah. built brand identities for Fortune 500 companies like Gillette, 
Duracell, Stop and Shop, Wendy's. Can you give us some highlights, things you're particularly proud of along the way? During my time at Stop and Shop, we had come up with a different logo and look for the brand, the familiar stoplight, the red light and green light. We were gravitating away from that. And I was part of a new brand identity. It had multicolors. It was kind of like a cornucopia, a peacock. Uh, You know, people called it different things. That brand had to change across every single piece of product in the store. It had to change from flour to rice to the outsides of the buildings. And New Englanders don't really like change. And I gave them a lot of credit for undergoing this and doing the market research to decide to go in this direction. What's interesting to me is that I loved working on the brand at the time, and now I'm doing something else. I realized that uh, just last year they were returning to that familiar red and green light. And I thought, well, you know, it was just as brave to change as it is to come back to something. So uh, there were lessons like that baked into every role I've had. And it's just been a matter of collecting that wisdom. In your opinion, as a pro in that field, what is the key to creating a connection between the consumer and the product to create a memorable brand. I think that it is going back to that idea of using psychology and knowing, trying to put yourself in the mind of the consumer and what they would want. I use this exercise in my role today because I think about how do we sell winning products? How do products become winning in the first place? Well, it certainly isn't because we highlight the things that are negative about them. And so when we talk about people, It's very easy for us to find the things that we don't do well. We easily go to our weaknesses. And my job is to help encourage people to think about their strengths, what makes them a leading product. You loved your job and you certainly did it very well. But something was missing. I do believe that sometimes there is a longing for something more and a voice, an intuition, and we have to listen to it. It's a clue that it's time to take a different path. Yes, I agree with that. Absolutely. I had had such an incredible experience working with these big name brands and your ego almost gets attached to it because the brand that's on top, are you on top as well? I mean, there's a story there, right? So I really loved it. But I also knew that what was missing for me was a people piece. And I know that it's not written into the job description for any of those roles that you're supposed to be helping people. But still, it was a refrain I kept asking, but am I helping people? I'm such a people person. I love getting in a room with people and finding common ground. I like resolving conflict. I like negotiation. There's so many people skills that I wasn't necessarily using in those roles. So I was able to take some time. I I have to younger kids, and think about what it is I really wanted to do with all of my existing skills. I was able to think back to all the things that I've done. I told you before about these different internships I've had. They're all extremely varied, which is great because you have these experiences to draw from. And I 
thought it would be a good merging of my people skills to apply those to others trying to form a personal brand. So basically taking my product skills and putting them into people and finding the best way for people to present themselves to the world. So I'm someone that is a confidence coach because I think that everyone has an opportunity to feel more confident and I help get them there. Your company is called The Creative Confidant. Tell us a little bit about what you offer as a coach and a guide to your clients. So I really work with people to find out how they want to present themselves, how they envision themselves, just the way that we did with brands. I do individual coaching. There's also opportunities to work with groups, which some people find comfort. I know I do. I love working with others and and hearing other people's ideas. It sparks really good conversation. At the heart of it, I'm a really good listener. And I think a lot of times I pick up on things that people aren't always saying. And I try to find what the hidden talents might be, what is not at the surface, and kind of fish it out of them. It's fun. The only time we grow Joanna, is when we take chances. And that, I think, is the root of confidence. Do you agree? I do. I also feel like we don't grow when we're comfortable. We grow when we're uncomfortable. A friend of the family told me that, I think her grandmother told her that, and I thought, oh, I can really remember that because it is so true. It's during those periods of time. And for us, as the world, we've experienced quite a bit of discomfort lately, but it is also causing us to grow immensely. So I think this is a really exciting time. Taking chances grows our confidence. I think we both agree on that. But what is your theory? Are we born with confidence or do we acquire it along the way? I think that the nature-nurture conversation is one that is always open Usually it's a percentage of things, I'll say. I think this might be 40% nurture and 60% nature, and then it can shift. I can't settle on anything. I can't commit to an answer there because I think that we all have the ability to be confident. There is no question in my mind that we can all stand in a confident way. I just think that it's up to us to practice it and practice reminding ourselves of who we are that helps us gain confidence. We live in a communications age, but our interpersonal skills have suffered as a result of the pandemic. Do you find that to be true? And as a coach, particularly when you're working on presentation skills and interview skills, there are a lot of people who have not mastered the art of projecting themselves from a very small screen into a room full of people. That is true. I can even take it a step further and say that I don't know if they've mastered the art of conversation just in small exchanges. I see a lot of opportunity for people to grow a little bit more and be able to make better eye contact, to be able to ask questions of each other that aren't just the typical pat ones. When we came back together, there was a certain awkwardness. We had to re-engage with one another and maybe form new pathways, which is not a bad thing. But in forming these pathways and removing our masks metaphorically and in real life, we had to take a lesson in how to get along with each other and be able to make more conscious decisions about the conversations that we have. 
And I think that our interpersonal skills definitely took a hit. Mm. I mean, I think that in addition to that, our kids were all watching us. And so it's hard to carry the weight of having to be a role model in addition to working on yourself, right? None of us are perfect. We all are always making improvements. I, I consider myself an evolution. We're all changing all the time, which is a good thing. I have also come to understand that one of the most important parts of the art of communication is the art of not talking at all, the art of listening. Yes. It's through listening that we learn. It's not through talking. So the more listening, the better. We have so many things in common, Joanna, you and me, but the biggest one is our love of the stage and our comfort there. You said earlier, I love microphones. I never met a microphone I didn't love. <laughs> this, though, is a terrifying place for a lot of people. So when you're coaching people within your coaching practice, what kinds of things do you tell them? What advice could you give our audience today if they've got a presentation coming up? What do you say? No pressure. <laughs> I customize it for the person because when you're making a presentation, I don't want to just say, hey, you should be funny. Because what if they don't feel funny? What if that's not their natural way? Icebreakers exist for a reason, and anything that you can do in the beginning of a conversation or a speech or a keynote or just a phone call could be a way to make the other person feel comfortable. That's what an icebreaker is. So I encourage people to find that element. You think to yourself, how is my audience going to feel comfortable? But how am I also going to feel comfortable? And that's where we begin. You are also, speaking of funny, a stand-up comedian, which is, in my opinion, the most vulnerable role a person can take on. How do you connect with the audience? That's a great question. I had a really funny experience doing stand-up at the Comedy Connection in Boston. This is years ago. I had this vast audience in Faneuil Hall in Boston, it's very touristy, so it can be anybody in that audience. And I don't like to say a bit because I had, I mean, that's what comedians say, they had a bit. But I had a piece of my comedic presentation that was centered around directions and involved Dunkin' Donuts. And when I looked out into the audience and I saw a sea of white, it was a bunch of, I don't know if they were from the Coast Guard or the Marines. There were military of some kind on a leave. They're probably Navy. I thought, they're not going to know what I'm talking about and they're not going to think this is funny. So I had to change on a dime and be flexible with where I was putting my jokes or my stories and how I could make it relatable to the audience. And even though I might find it funny or even if 75% of the room could find it funny. The fact that I knew there was going to be a whole bunch of guys not laughing, I didn't like that. So I changed, you know, and I was able to do that. And I, I think back and that's it's pretty, pretty brave. You've mentioned your kids a couple times in this interview. Can you tell me, Joanna, how did motherhood change you? It definitely has humbled me. There's no question about that. I have two girls and I 
am pretty frank about saying that I never wanted girls. I didn't have sisters. I had brothers. And I always babysat a lot, but I loved babysitting for boys. It just That's my comfort. Was I felt like I knew boys. And so we didn't find out what we were having. And in that moment in the hospital when you know they have to tell you that you're having a... I'm like, oh, no, this is terrible. I thought she was a boy. I thought for sure she was going to be a boy. And then you forget, right? As soon as they're born, you don't really put them in that gender category. But it has been a real learning curve for me to even embrace the idea that, man, I love having girls. And it's been such an interesting path to discover that you can love things that you didn't necessarily expect that you'd love or that you'd even be good at, perhaps. The ironic thing about being a mother is how much our children teach us. What have your daughters taught you? They teach me all the time. I mean, I've written lots of different articles, and I think that uh, they get quoted more often than I quote, you know, Gandhi. My older daughter, I refer to sometimes as the Dalai Lama because there is a freedom to being a child, right? They don't really think about the consequences of what they say. And as a result, some of the best gems come from them with that spirit of just embracing the unknown and saying what's on your mind. We could kind of take a cue from them, couldn't we? (laughs) (laughs) Next few questions. I ask everyone who sits where you are. The first one is, what do you wish you knew when you first got started in your career? The idea that you can do many things and that what you do doesn't necessarily define you. So if you're in a role, if you're an accountant for 10, 15, 20 years, that doesn't just mean you're a numbers person. You are more than a numbers person. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? You know, I got my start in sales and I definitely heard my share of no's. And I think that as a kid, my mom would say I had no problem saying no. I loved that word. But when you start to hear no, it's not quite as fun. And so I had to make a game of it. How many no's can I hear to get to a yes? We have an internal voice. We all do. And it can be very limiting. We are our own worst enemy, right? And we can't necessarily change the idea that we have a voice because we should have an inside voice. We can't change our voice, but we can change the way that it talks to us. So I'd say that about obstacles. What is the best piece of advice you've ever received, Joanna? And this can be personal or professional. Can you share it with our listeners today? Before I went to college, my mom gave me this pillow and it said, Believe you can or believe you can't. Either way, you're right. And what's funny is that it had this really irreverent graphic of like an older woman. I think she was even smoking a cigarette. It was a crazy pillow. But I never forgot it because it, it, it stayed with me. That idea that you're right no matter what is said. Final question. Right now in this chapter in your very exciting life, what does success mean to you? I think that success is not an accomplishment. It is not a thing. It is a feeling. And success is something that you give to yourself, from yourself. It's a gift. It's just for us to know. Joanna Dutra, I want to say thank you so much for being our guest this week on the story behind her success. Thank you so much, Candy. My thanks to Joanna Dutra, founder of The Creative Confidant. Find out about her coaching services and read her many Forbes articles at thecreativeconfidant.com. Follow her at The Creative Confidant. 
I'm always on the lookout for the next woman to profile. So if you know someone I should feature on the show, will you please let me know? Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. That's candy with a Y, O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. I'll have a new inspiring story for you next week. What's your story? I can't wait to hear it.